Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris Lee. This episode, Bruno Reagan, former Commodore and Seabass of WNWS, will join us. We will talk mostly football today. We will hit on basketball for just a little bit as well. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Our news is presented by our good friends at Sutherland and Belk, an SEC sports-loving injury firm in Nashville. These guys will shoot you straight on your rights and options when you have been injured in an accident. Please call them at 615-846-6200 to get your questions answered. You can also visit them online at sbinjurylaw.com. Well, not such good news for the Vanderbilt basketball team. The Commodores fall by 20 at Davidson on Tuesday night. Scotty Pippen Jr.'s 24 points leads Vanderbilt in scoring. The Commodores will play next against Alcorn State on December the 27th. Seabass joins us from WNWS. Bruno Reagan, former Commodore, joins us from his home in Clarksville. Gentlemen, uh, let's start with you, Seabass. How are you, sir? Man, I am doing great, dude. Two days before the big day, and, you know, here in about four hours, I'm going to be off until Monday. And in my business, and especially the station I've worked at for 20 years, that is unheard of. (laughs) Congratulations. I know you have earned your time off. I'm looking forward to a little downtime myself. Took the kids bowling today, played some video games. That was all good. Uh, Bruno, how are you and your family, sir? Uh, what, what's the holiday look like for the Reagan clan? So the Reagan clan, the thing about my family, man, is uh, we're chill in the sense that we're, so we're all always out of the house. I don't think no one, we're never in the house at the same time. It's either work in training or whatever. But this is like the one week of the year besides also Thanksgiving where we're we're all just around the house hanging out. So it's a good time. 
Okay, gentlemen, we are a week and change out from the Clark Lee hire being made official. Now that we've had some time to digest it, Bruno, I know you've kept your ear to the ground on some things. Uh, what are we thinking now uh, that we're a little further out from this than when the hire was made? How, how are you feeling about things? I'll start with you, Bruno. I think the question, the big question for Lee was, um, you know, oh, can this guy recruit, right? Because he's not the he's not the hot and sexy hire. You know, we hired the guy that makes sense, right? We put a ring on it, basically. And uh, from what I'm hearing, I mean, the guys, the guys actually going after it right now. Um, he's swaying a lot of opinions because now that they have the recruiting class in, but now the second phase of recruiting, the Vanderbilt way of recruiting, is now they have to recruit everybody to stay at, at Vanderbilt, and that includes guys who opted out, you know, who might have the extra year. Heck, even fifth years or fourth years can come back with this new rule. He's going to transfer to these guys, guys who are in the transfer portal. He's trying to, you know, sell the program. Like I said, you know, in the previous podcast, they just need bodies at this point. So. And then if you can get the best players back on top, that's a good thing. But um, I think he's he's really hit the ground running with this whole deal. I really like it. Seabass, my man, now that you've had a while to digest and hear what Clark Lee has had to say at his press conference and all that, uh, what are your thoughts? Do you view the hire any differently now that we've had some time to think about it? Do I view the hire any differently? No. Uh, no, I know not based on the press conference and what is anything that's transpired since then. No, I don't. I don't. I don't uh, view the hire any different. Uh, if I go back to the press conference and your question, and I think one of the two other people kind of uh, attempted to address it. And look, I'm still in a positive phase right now. I'm still. I'm. You know. I'm still. I have a little bit of a buzz from from all of the coaching search and all and all the great news and what comes along with a coaching search. Uh, especially one that you think is successful. So I'm still high as far as that goes. Um, I want to do this right because I don't want to turn it into one of these because there's a lot of good things going on right now. Uh, and, I, I look, I, I believe, John, and I, and I believe that it's a play. I just felt like, and, and maybe this was more wishful thinking than anything else, but my thought in regards to announcements you know and again i don't have to hear that a brand new seventy-five thousand seat seat stadium is being erected and all this other stuff but uh the things that that you're planning that are going to be done i just can't see how it would be better than coinciding with the announcement of your new hire and your new direction uh i, I just felt like it was the the, the, the prime opportunity uh, to make announcements in regards to facilities outside of, uh, you know, the, the nutrition and what what's the other, the locker room, I believe it is. And those things are certainly important, uh, but whatever it is that's supposed to be announced in this first quarter in 21, I just can't see how it was would be a better time than to have done it you know, while the while the while the irons are hot, because, I mean, we had everyone's attention. You know, uh, we were making our hire. It was on the SEC Network, and we had everybody's attention, and everybody was watching. And I just thought, uh, what a better time to do that, to make these announcements than that. So I was a little bummed that we didn't get that and that they really weren't addressed. I mean, I'm sure they, they knew that those questions and that line of question might be coming, and I certainly understand that. But um, I was a little bit disappointed in that. Uh, as far as what he had to say, I was pretty excited about that. Um, I agree, getting people the second side of recruiting coming back and getting people who could opt back in uh, to, to do that is going to be a huge deal. Uh, 
the guy that I would really – I mentioned to you guys last week, the guy that I'd really love to see come back is Chris Pierce. And I really hope that he has an interest in coming back uh, for one more season because I, there's no telling. I mean, if he improved that much from two years ago to last year, I wonder what he can do in another year's time. And I think he would be great for some of these other young receivers. So he would truly be an OG receiver. Uh, so that would be fine. But in regards to the rest of it, I mean, I don't know who his coaches are going to be. You know, I, I still don't know. I mean, philosophically, I basically heard what I would ex- I expect on the offensive side of things, but I don't think it truly tells you what scheme he's going to go to or go with or who he's going to go with in regards to coordinators and who he's going to keep uh, on the staff that's there currently right now. Y'all may have insight to that. I don't. Um, but, I mean, there hasn't really been any hires yet, so I'm stoked from it all still, but my, my mind hasn't changed because not much has really happened since. Bruno, you've had your ear to the ground a little bit. Uh, what I hear sounds like they are keeping Peter Rossamondo, the offensive line coach, Javon Hay, the defensive line coach, and I think Aaron Henry, the defensive backs coach. Other than that, I'm not really sure that a lot of people are sticking around, but what are you hearing? Yeah, basically the same thing. I didn't know about the defensive back coach, but I was 100% certain when the hire was announced. I was like, okay, Coach Hay is probably going to stay. Um, coach Rosamondo, I could see how that, uh, I could see how that, uh, that works out. I mean, he, he did a pretty good job. I know there's PFF grades and all that, whatever we knew the, that that was a disaster of a unit going into the season with the opt outs and everything. And they pulled out, they, they out, they overperformed. They were one of the only groups I think we could say they overperformed was the bar to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. But they did well. I think uh, Rosamondo coming back is huge. Um, I know the guys there really like him too. I know the guys have a lot of respect for him and who knows this could, I know Grant Miller entered the transfer portal. That's public news. Who knows what this coach Rosamondo uh, news could mean to that too. I just wanted to point out, if you remember, if you go back to the last podcast, if you remember the three coaches that I said that I had hoped that would uh, be held over from the previous podcast were Rosamondo, Hay and Henry. I had forgotten that. I think Hay and Rosamondo were the two ones that, would have been on most people's list because I'm with Bruno. I know the bar was pretty low, but I think that offensive line performed better than I thought it would. And that was with even having Cole Clemens and Bryce Bailey and some of the kids we thought were going to be on that team. So I'm, I'm with you guys on that. Aaron Henry, I, I just I don't know what to think about that one as much. But I think with Javon Hay doing the recruiting that he did and Ross Amanda doing the job that we knew that he did, and I think – one thing that was consistent in this season was the feedback that he'd done a really good job and had respect to the players in a tough situation. So I think those were certainly right calls. But I want to interject my own opinion into some things here. You guys know, and if people listen to the podcast, they know my thing is I don't take Vanderbilt at face value for much of anything that it says. There's been so much spin and, and all those things I'm not I'm not going to go there again, but everybody knows that's my take. I don't really pay attention to what is said publicly as much as I do privately. And I'll be honest, just the stuff that I hear, without being too specific, it feels to me like the forces that have had their hands around the neck of the football program in a bad way, I'm not going to say they've been... Uh, completely neutralized because that's 
I think that's always going to be a battle at Vanderbilt. I, I think that things sometimes have to be worded certain ways and press conferences and all sorts of things, the dances you have to do there with football, given the, the academic issues and the side of the school doesn't like football. But what I will tell you, the more that I hear about the hiring process and some things that have gone on since then, the more convinced I am now that the responsible people who know what to do and know how to win are probably more in control of this than they've been maybe since I've covered it. Uh, And the people that don't need to have any business having a say in football don't seem to have much of one. And Seabass, I'm with you on facilities. That's frustrating to me. I watch that. I go, for God's sake, for once, why couldn't you just throw something out there? Because, like I said, they can announce it for anything else. But I will tell you privately what I'm hearing. I feel like I've been encouraged, as encouraged as I've been in a long time, uh, knowing that I think that sound decisions are being made about the program uh, by the kinds of people who should be making those decisions. And I think that's a real cause for some optimism and cheer as they enter this new era of Vanderbilt football because God knows that's something that had to happen. Yeah, I thought that was weird, Chris. You like um you like basically asked a follow because they gave the run runabout on the first person who ran the who asked the facilities question. And you you know, you like you try to press further into it, like and then Clark Lee, like I think it's public knowledge that the locker room renovation is I think it's already starting. Like, I don't know why they haven't announced it yet, but anyways, maybe they want to do everything at the same time. But uh, Clark, like, he even ran around it and then accidentally mentioned the locker. The whole thing was just weird to me. That was the only weird part of the conference was when facilities came up, that was the only, like, you know, generic response. But other than that, everything else is pretty good. The thing that I like the best about that press conference, and even though it was pretty damning, uh, I still – It it kind of spoke to me about what one of the things as to why Clark Lee is so motivated. Uh, You know, I'm going to stop calling him Clark Lee now. I'm going to start calling him Coach Lee. Um, That that Coach Lee was that had him so motivated. And I'm visualizing him seeing this happen, being told this, but the story that he told about not being able to use his own locker room because Boise State was using it, or his own uh, weight room because Boise State was using it. You could tell that that was his, as Adam Sandler would put it, tackling fuel, you know, and 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 I think that that's the kind of thing that resonates with him and is going to burn into him uh, that says this is never going to happen to another Vanderbilt football player again as long as I'm the head football coach here. Yeah, to tie up some loose ends with what I said, again, to me, I need to see it to believe it. What I'm hearing is a spring timeline on stuff. And, and again, I, I know we've heard all this before. I'm, I'm not going to beat that drum. Everybody knows my opinion. But I think if we get to mid-April and we don't have anything that's been put out there in concrete terms, then I think people can get worried. But other than that, and, and that's not a little thing, right? I just – the, the little things and the big things that I've heard privately uh, that are not in the public narrative, I'm, I left I left this last week a whole lot more encouraged for the future of the program. I think anytime you're at Vanderbilt, it's so complicated. You have to do things secretly. Uh, sometimes you have to prop people up um, and, and credit people for things they didn't do. 
or play nice with the administration, all the things that come with being at Vanderbilt. And, you know, hope to God one day we do a podcast where that's not a factor anymore, but that's the world we're living in and covering right now. But I, I feel like this is headed in a better direction, and, and God knows everybody needs that. I thought it was going in a better direction from the start. I mean, Clark Lee, listen, the inter- from everything I heard from players, from people who have been around Coach Lee, from players who have been under Coach Lee, I mean, there's nothing but good things to say. And, I mean, let's be honest. If you're a football – Coach Lee doesn't need the Vanderbilt job. I don't think he really needed it. I think he's one of the coaches who truly didn't need the job. I think he wants this job. When he said that, I truly believed him. I don't think that's even speak. I think he has a he has a personal mission here. And um, if they're not, if he's not getting his way or, you know, they, they basically handed him the keys and they're like, fix this deal. And if he's not getting his way, then, you know, we might see the end of it early, but I don't think he needs this job. I think he really, you know, I think he wants, he truly wants to change this place. Not to say that any coach before him hasn't, and that doesn't guarantee success, but it's definitely a promising, a promising thing to hear that from literally everybody you talk to. Yeah, because think about it like this, uh, you know, in this sense, because this is not some. This is a guy who is extremely well thought of, who his trajectory was certainly pointed upwards. And the truth of the matter is, is that you know, you where you hear some people say, "Oh, well, you take the Vanderbilt job, it's where your career goes to die." Well, the truth is, a guy like Coach Lee, I mean, let's just say that he it doesn't work out, and he and they and we don't win, and he doesn't do well. That's not going to be held against him. I, I, I don't think. I, I, I really don't. I think that people are going to say, that's not a Lee thing. That's a Vanderbilt thing. Yeah, you know, I, probably. I, 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 which, by the way, you know, it's, it's like I had this conversation, Bruno, on the air the other day, because I got into it with somebody on social media, and then I brought it onto the air, was that uh, they, I, I, too many people that I saw kept calling Vanderbilt a coaching graveyard, which is simply untrue, by the way. Uh, it, it's just not true. And the funny part about it was it was Tennessee fans were the one that was calling it that. The you know, and I pointed out graveyard. <laughs> yeah, as I said, I would like to point out to you uh, that James Franklin is now the head coach at Penn State, and I'm pretty sure that Jerry Donato spun it into LSU, whereas Butch Jones and, you know, and, 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 and Derek Dooley and now Jeremy Pruitt and guys like this, you know, uh, if, if there's a coaching graveyard, it's not in the six one five, you know. But I, I think Clark Lee, with what he's done in in in, in South Bend and the reputation that he has, if it doesn't work here, I don't think that's going to be used against him in opportunities going down the road. I think that will be looked at as maybe you didn't get what you needed, you know, where we can provide that. But hopefully that never is an issue. You know, ho- hopefully it is all going to work out. And the one thing that I am completely convinced of is that we're going to get everything that Clark Lee has, you know, that mm-hmm. Coach Clark Lee has. And, and the question is, is it enough on his end? I think it's going to be, but it will be, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. It is paramount that he gets these coordinator hires right. And by the way, on that note, is there any possibility or that either one of you hearing that the top fits? retain as an offensive coordinator? I don't think he will be, but um, 
if he is, I wouldn't be surprised because I feel like Fitch's system, Fitch's, Fitch ran basically a lot of the same stuff Ludwig did. I mean, it's, it's extremely pro style inside outside zone, um, but there was a little bit of a power game to it. You know, they want to set up play action screens on second and longs or on off downs. It was, it was about as just, you know, a vanilla and a vanilla pro style offense, which with more, uh, more time can expand, but um. It's 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 going to be a Fitch styled offense, but I don't I don't think there's any reason to keep Fitch. I was trying to tell people this on social media was um, you know, coaches need guys they can trust, right? You don't want to retain too many people. Like you need, because you can't a, a CEO like you can't be everywhere. You need people under you who basically share your same values, everything like that, right? And you it's hard to develop these relationships with people in like the span of weeks to months. Like you typically want your boys in there. So I think he's good. I think at OC and DC, those are going to be Clark's guys. One little thing I want to put a bow on here. Have either of you guys heard anything in terms of contract details, leaking out salary promises? I've not heard a word. Am I missing nope. something? I don't think that's been reported anywhere. No, no, I haven't, pr- I haven't pressed on anything nope, regarding the money worst. deals or anything. But Well, usually that comes out. Usually there's a Pete Thamel or someone like that because that leaks out on the agent community. It's very interesting to me that none of that leaked out. Now, I'm pretty sure the Clark Lee's agent is Jimmy Sexton. Jimmy Sexton is a Tennessee graduate, so I'm guessing he's not doing Vanderbilt a lot of favors. Uh, but I'm guessing Jimmy's pretty sharp knife. I'm thinking that... The world knows the issues they have with facilities and dodging promises. I'm I'm betting there had to be some language in there that included some guarantees or something of that sort. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, but it's just hard for me to imagine that contract being signed with him as his agent um, w- without some language in there. Don't you guys think? Oh, I'm sure it's in there. Yeah. And even, and even if it isn't, I mean... Um... Coach Lee, honestly, he could probably get a different job elsewhere pretty easily. Like I was saying, like, as I learned more and more about him, I'm like, how is this guy not getting hired away elsewhere? You know, I, I look at a search like Auburn, Auburn search. I'm like, wow, what a dumpster fire. You know, at least we like we we can't it, we look like one of the most uh, one of the smartest programs in the conference right now. But regardless, I would say that they're, they definitely made some promises. If it's not in paper, which it. That's why I'm saying it has to be when things are at this level of stuff, it's always in the writing, right? Um, there is no, this is, it might be the South, but there's no handshake when it comes to multi-million dollars. You put that stuff in paper and I think they'll probably have that. All right. Seabass, I'm going to direct this to you. Do we want to get into hey. hoops at all before we go to the mailbag? We can, but the only thing I'll tell you is this, that I was on the air last night uh, during the game, so I did not see see the game. I only read <laughs> the aftermath, but I did not actually visually watch the game myself. So if it's about the game last night, then I, I, wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be much help to you. Yeah, I was not super encouraged with what I saw. I, I want to see what happens when uh, – DJ Harvey shakes off the rust, but you know, he just really wasn't that accurate a shooter at Notre Dame. Uh, it concerns me that Cleavon Brown and Max Evans aren't on the floor more than they are. Those are two guys who've always hustled, who I thought made the most of what they had. I don't know, man. It really wasn't a good look for them last night, and, and I think that was the topic of conversation of a lot of folks on our board. 
Yeah, I read a lot of that, and I, you know, when I started reading some of the things that they were talking about, then I, I got to thinking about what I have witnessed so far this year, or haven't witnessed, if you will, and it's, it just, okay, if I'm, if I'm saying this wrong, or if I, what I'm saying is, is not what you're saying, then please uh, address, let me know. It just seems like you're just out there, you know, they're, they're just out there, and because they have a game that day, you know, at, I don't know about you, Bruno, but man, didn't you love, didn't you love game day? You love compete. Even if you want yeah, to, it's the good. one day, it's the you know, one day you like out of a, out of a work week. <laughs> I mean, look, now I'm not going to look, I, I'm, I'm sure there are certain players who truly loved to practice. I'm not one of them. Uh, no, I always loved yeah, I always loved game day. I was always up for that. That's why I didn't need a raw, raw coach. I mean, I've never really – they're great and they're fun and that's wonderful, but I've never understood the concept of needing a coach to get me hyped up to play. You know, game day is where it all culminates, where you get an opportunity to do it, man. And when I watch this team, and maybe I'm wrong, but I just see a team that's just out there and not necessarily just going through the motions – but it, it just there seems to be a lack of an intensity, maybe, uh, and maybe that's the, the the incorrect view. But that's what I see. I just don't see. And again, I don't mean screaming and hooping and hollering, but you know what I'm talking about when it, when they're intense. You don't have to even slap in the floor, but just playing at a, a level that says, "Okay, y'all gonna beat me. You're gonna have to match this intensity level." I don't really see that. Seabass, I watch the offense they run. Uh, right now, they've got one really good player. And that's Scotty Pippen right. Jr. And I think Dylan DeSue has potential, but he's not there yet. He's had some good games. He's had, I think, seven double-doubles now. I think a lot of the kid and his ability, but sometimes that doesn't happen until your junior year, and he's just not there yet. I look at that offense, and it's designed around making athletic moves to get to the hoop. They just don't have athletes. And the other dynamic of it is shoot the eye out of the three ball they take a ton of threes. They do not make a good percentage. I just look at that and I go, they've got Pippen and they don't have much else. And I just don't see the way this is structured right now is not working for them. And I don't, unless DJ Harvey or DeSue start shooting it a lot better, uh, boy, I, I don't see anything in the middle, any kind of a post threat. I don't know where this gets better anytime soon unless those kids start shooting it considerably better and oh by the way if you're counting on the coaching staff to fix this it's the least experienced staff in the country literally uh so I wonder what they've got to go to in their bag of tricks to change things up I mean am I being too hard but that's what I see when I watch them yeah no let me ask you this I want you to both answer this question if somehow, and this is a stupid question, and I get it, but this is kind of what people do. If this Vanderbilt team, as it is right now, could play the Vanderbilt team that played in the last two SEC regular season games of the season, who would you take? Oh, that team last year beats this team by 10 points. That's a problem. You see what I'm saying? I mean, that's a problem. This team should be trending in the other direction. You know, not... Uh, not, not not going backwards. This this team appears to be going backwards, and I, I'm not really sure the reason for it. I mean, I know there's a lot of new faces. I, I I get that, man. I do, but 
you know, this is college basketball, a sport where new faces can come in and have an, a real impact immediately. And I see some talent there, you know, these teams. Like you, you mentioned guys like Thomas and McBride and Lawrence, and, and there's they're some talent. But we, at the end of the day, we have to have somebody uh, uh, not named Scotty Pippen Jr. who can create their own shot right now on a consistent basis, and I really just don't see that. And if you're not going to knock down, if you're not going to knock down the outside shot, then you better have somebody else that can do that. And and the other thing is, I mean, I don't know that there's anybody on this team that if I if I did get the ball down to in the paint could, could score consistently. Well, Pippen to me is a two or three on you know not not a two or three in terms of position, but like your number two or three guy. In other words, you've got a stud like like an Aaron Neesmith, for example. Um, right. That that's your guy, right, on a good team, and Pippen is like your third best player, right? He's having to be their guy, and maybe he is that good, right? Maybe he ends up being that good. He could be. I think he's a very good player, but you just got gaping holes at your second, third, fourth scoring options. Again, Desu can be that on some nights. Uh, but it's not there as often as it is. And, and by the way, you bring up Isaac McBride. I, like I've said from the beginning, that was a really weird deal getting him. You know, people look at Kansas transfer and everything, and I think people were pretty optimistic. He played four minutes and 48 seconds last night. And when you need scores and he's not seeing the floor more than that, that's interesting. And it makes you wonder what's that that's about because I have seen him in a couple of games this year where I would say he's probably the, one of the three the three most talented players on that team and uh, one of the guys who and what I like about him is he he's got a, a decent outside shot but he just he runs the court pretty well uh, and and seems like he distributes the basketball pretty well so if he's only going to play four four minutes in in a game then it's obviously something that's going on in between games and not the game itself best I can tell Are you, unless you think Chris have you seen uh, the personnel out there that have played at such a level that McBride can only squeeze four minutes in based on game performance? I, I don't know, man. The thing I told you from the beginning, it was, it was a weird deal when you're the Gatorade player of the year in your state and your home state school doesn't recruit you on the rebound and you're out of Kansas before the season even starts. You only get 13 scholarship players. Uh, and now here they are with Trey Thomas, who was an afterthought that nobody was recruiting, who's really logging more minutes than any other guard right now, not named Pippen, and I didn't expect that either. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I, but, you know, well, let me ask you this. Whatever it's based on, I don't think it's based on anything in-game that he – I mean, on the, on the minutes that you've seen McBride log – did he look like somebody who wasn't hustling, who was being selfish, uh, uh, who didn't communicate well, or was a problem on the court? Because I didn't see any of that. I don't know. All that has been said publicly was Jerry Stackhouse said, you know, the first night, because he got seven or eight points, and he looked like he gave them a spark offensively. And I asked Jerry about it. He said, yeah, well, he might have scored eight, but he gave up ten. Uh, and he didn't, he didn't blink when he said it either. 
well, uh, nobody knows their personnel like a, a coach. So, you know, they all have their own individual relationship with these players. So clearly he felt comfortable saying, saying that, you know, there's some players that, you know, you say that they're going to fall apart. Uh, maybe he felt that he needed to hear that or that he could handle it. Yeah. Well, it's weird. I, I would have thought, I would have thought he'd be getting more of a share of the minutes than he's had. But, man, they're five games in. I think he's averaging nine minutes a game. It's just not what I would have thought. And, again, it's not like they've got oodles of scores here. There, there seems to be opportunity, but it's just not happening. I mean, I, here's the other thing. Trey Thomas is playing more than Max Evans, and I don't get that either. Right. Right. Well, you know, and it's like I said, uh, you know, like Bruno, think about it like this. Let me ask you this. Now, on the at, at, at Vanderbilt, of course, it's different everywhere, but I've had very few coaches uh, who were to be a position or coordinator or even head coach who were the exact same with all their players. I mean, they handled them differently based on who they were, you know, and, and, and their personalities and their and, – and their and, and, you know, interactions with them. Did you have were your coaches at Vanderbilt were they the exact same with every player all the time? Because they weren't. I've never really witnessed that. I've seen uh, one. One was, and it wasn't as successful. And one was different with every player, and he was a bit more successful. So take that it is with you with what you will. And then at the and then at the pro level, I had a guy who tried to. You know, some coaches, it's like my way or the highway, and some coaches, you know, they try to adapt. And I feel like the my way or the highway guys, I mean, it's it's just uh, dealing with people, there is no right answer. Sometimes sometimes that guy's right. Sometimes, you know, maybe they should try to switch things up for the guys more. But if you're, if you're on a, if you're on the downturn, right? Like when we were, when I was on a good team and we're all doing, we're all on the coach's page, right? And he treats us all the same. That's all great. Whatever. Like, if you're winning, that fixes all. Nobody cares. But if you're losing and, you know, you just go on about as normal, that you're going to see things like transfers, objections, things like that. So just bad culture, basically. Gentlemen, I'm going to launch us into the mailbag, which is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of your insurance needs. Call Josh today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about him here. All right, Door74 says, Bruno, what is the buzz from the current team and some of the opt-outs and transfer portalese? Um. All they've all been really, you know, they've all been good on Lee. Now, listen, this is going to be a process that won't finish out till uh, probably the first week of January. Like you'll see once the college football players playoff is over and coaches, you know, they're all on the recruiting, the quote unquote, second wave of recruiting trail transfers and stuff like that. They're already working behind the scenes, but I think you'll start seeing decisions being made around like first week of January, second week of January, because most teams report back for the spring session. Uh, late January, at least football wise, you know, that's when your football stuff starts. So, and the schools adapt to that stuff. Most schools will, you know, they can take guys in early, get them registered, all of that. So we won't see the exact, uh, numbers and stuff, but the buzz from, you know, the background has been nothing but good about Clark Lee. I mean, he's talked to talk, you know, I know from the conversations he's had with, with guys, he, I think he's, 
I think he's doing really well. I think he's saying all the right stuff. Um, but other than that, I mean, that's all, that's all we're going to be. This is talk season. So it's, it's not, it's not, it's not hard to talk, to talk. Well, you know, we all want to see the action, but it's still a good thing. You know, you can't go wrong. Cause we, when coach Mason was here, when he first got here, you know, he didn't talk well and that's a, that's not a good thing. So at least this is something positive. Do you sense guys are going to have legitimately good options outside of Vanderbilt, or is this just, uh, I want to continue my career and play football here, or I want to get out of it for a lot of these kids? No, I think, yeah, I don't think their options are going to be better than what than what Coach Lee is going to offer at Vanderbilt. Um, I know there are some, there's maybe like three guys who might have like bigger, they have like, you know, bigger options, but other than that, you know, quote unquote bigger options, but other than that, I mean, if that's the case, you know, you might just might as well just stay at Vanderbilt because grad transfer, if you transfer or grad transfer or opt out and go down a level, I mean, if you do that stuff, it's just, you spend so much. I'm, I've always been against transferring for guys, right? Whenever I, I try to st- tell guys like, you know, try not to transfer if you can, cause it's just so much to it. It's, it seems like the easy way out at the moment. And then when you get down to the nitty gritty of it, it's hard to adapt to a new school, new culture, perform at a high level, whether you're, you know, you have two or three years there, or you have a grad transfer there. I, Cause you see some guys who transfer around for like, what was that guy's name? Tate Marshall, or whatever, who went to like three different high ranking schools. I mean, it, it really hardly ever works out for anybody. So I think a lot of these kids are going to get, you know, they're going to get to the portal. It's not what they think it's going to be. You know, maybe they thought it was going to be a second recruiting process and it's just not that. I mean, especially coming from, you know, a worse team. I mean, it's the same. It's that stocks low, you know, and if you don't have film out there, if you were one of those guys before the season trying to transfer, it's not going to go well there. I think we see a lot of guys come back. And I know I post on the board a bit, like, you know, five to seven, but I think we see a big wave of guys, you know, come back. What do you think Dimitri Moore winds up? Hmm. I think he is one that, you know, tr- that transfer transfers. So I think we'll see him. He, he won't dip below, um, he could go to another power five school. I think he'll go to another power five school. He probably has those offers, but he won't dip below um, division one. Like he won't dip below FBS. Like I'd say like America, if he wants to, he could go to an American place and probably play pretty well. I mean, he's an extremely talented guy. wasn't he preseason all sec. I know he was up there. It's just, some things just don't work out in certain situations. And that's what it, that's what it was with him. But if somehow he ends up back, I mean, good player. Okay, I got a bunch of questions. Bruno, I'm going to send the next few your way. I may get Seabass to chime in on a few of these, but I think these are more you-specific, and and, and then we'll uh, turn it around the other way a little bit. But uh, Big Hatchy says, Bruno, if you could wave a magic wand or rub a magic lamp, what would be your wish or your best-case scenario for a starting five on the offensive line in next season and why? Factor in returning and potential returning players and opt-outs as well as transfers and incoming signees. No generic, vague, Kirkland Hall responses allowed. (laughs) You have to have names or be forever associated with the Vanderbilt way. By the way, Seabest, I'll give you a chance at this one too, but I'll let Bruno start. I do, think, I, uh, I, okay, that's fine, but do, am, is all the same thing going to happen to me? Am I subject to all the the stuff that Bruno is as well? Jeez. <laughs> the, only, the only reason I'll ever not, you know, say names or stuff is to obviously protect people and, and interest in all that. And sometimes, you know, you don't need names to go on with things, but I don't mind saying, I mean, this is an easy question. So they have that WVU tackle transfer. And I saw, all, I didn't look too deep into him. I saw his, some of his little highlights that were posted up. I mean, so you, that's a pretty solid tackle spot. You don't take someone as a grad transfer. They're not going to play. So he's definitely looking at being an option, right? So 
at, but I think Steen is the young guy who's coming up, and that's who you you want to build around a left tackle. You want that guy to grow into that position. So if you got if we're going left to right, probably Steen at left tackle. I know they'll have they'll probably have Jonathan Stewart back. I think he wants to come back. These are all all this is speculation though. You know, it's up to him whether he comes back or not. But so we'll have Tyler Steen, and then you know hopefully Cole Clemens if he decides to come back. I think he also wants to come back, but that's again up to him. So we'll have Tyler Steen, Cole Clemens. Uh, as far as center goes, Grant, we're going to miss Grant a lot. I mean, and who knows if he comes back too. Um, Coach Lee will hopefully be on that too. But the thing about Grant is he, you know, he was the hold down of that position. I don't know what their backup deal was. Maybe it was a uh, Michael Warden. I had to, I'd have to recheck the depth chart. Who was it was, it was okay. It was now Michael Warden. I mean, he, he's about six, one on a good day. So <laughs> the, which is perfect for center. I mean, center, you can be the short stout, you stout guy, as long as you can control it, you know, that's okay, but it's going to be hard to bring in someone as a grad transfer. Typically you're going to want to recruit somebody and, you know, bring them up. I mean, you hardly can ever throw somebody from guard to center either. It center just sucks, especially in a pro style offense. Nobody wants to do that. You want to play guard. That's where the dummies play. And that's where you go get to focus on your feet and nothing else. And then surviving. Right. So as far as center, that's a toss up. I wish I could give you a name on there. That would work out if I sell. And I'm a big Michael Warden fan. I love walk-ons that have a chip on their shoulder. So if somehow he could win the job, Hey, I'm all, I'm all for it. When I get to, when I get to practices in the spring, I'll be able to get you more on that. But center is a huge question mark. If I could wave a magic wand and put somebody out there, I mean, get, bring Ben Jones or somebody. But other than that, we'll leave center out of question for now. Right guard. I mean, Julian Hernandez stepped in late in the season. I think he was an interesting guy. You know, he, I never got to play with Julian, but I think he did pretty well, especially as a retro freshman, I believe when he, um, when he finally saw the field. So I say finally playing as a rusher freshman in the SEC is huge. That could be somebody they build up into that position. And then at right tackle, I think that's where the question mark is. Jonathan Stewart and the WVU, uh, WVU transfer will probably compete for that position. Points of clarity before I throw this to Seabass. Hernandez was listed as a third-team center. I don't know if he ever got a snap there, but that might be an option going forward if Grant Miller does not return which in the transfer portal, I'm, I'm presuming he's gone. That's been the assumption that I've operated on. And, oh, goodness, I, I've lost my other thoughts. Um, oh, I know what it was. Connor McNone, from what I have told, I think he was hurt, uh, mm-hmm. was going to be out that last game, might have been out the Tennessee game. In fact, I think he was. Technically, he's got a sixth year. I don't think he's going to be – taking advantage of that, but I heard a whisper that he might even be, I don't know, a grad assistant analyst, that sort of thing. So that might be interesting to watch. But anyway, just a couple of points of clarity I wanted to add there before I throw that to Seabass to get his answer. Okay. Uh, a name y'all didn't mention, or if you did, I didn't hear it, that I, I look, I want to get the five best linemen on the field, but guards are, are guards, centers are centers, and tackles are tackles. Some are interchangeable, some are not. I mean, you've got, Bruno, you've seen it. You, you you've seen guys who are perfect at guard and are terrible at center. Or yeah, I mean, at, I was I was know, a pretty good guard, and I sucked at center when I first stepped in there. It's a hard position. It's it, because it's just different. If I yeah. could put the best five on the field. Uh, and I like Hernandez. I think he's got upside. Uh, I might, I might going from the inside out. And, and, and I hate the fact that he didn't get the reps, but I would probably go. And that's uh, assuming Grant's not back. Uh, 
maybe you know, start in the spring with him there, uh, building around him on either side, because uh, the guy's name that I didn't hear y'all mention was Bradley Ashmore. And, you know, Bradley Ashmore, who was a true freshman, you know, who got the benefit of a slight spring, if you will. Um, mm. But, I mean, from a physical standpoint, I look, do I think he's a guard? Probably not. But if I'm getting my best five out there, uh, maybe it's Hernandez, and I've got Bradley Ashmore on one side, and hopefully Cole comes back. Uh, so you maybe you've got Hernandez with Clemens, Ashmore, the Virginia transfer, and Steen, uh, West Virginia transfer, and then Steen. It, you know, I, again, not if that, that I know some people are, may have to make some minor adjustments, but maybe if I'm getting my best five out there, perhaps that's what it looks like. That's a good point. A lot of offensive line coaches, you know, that's their first decision. Do you get the best, do you get quote unquote the best five players or do you get the best five players at the position? If that makes sense. So like, you know, if, if somehow I ended up ever playing tackle, was I one of the best linemen on the team at the time? Yeah, I, I think I was, I was definitely, you know, one of the top ones, but um, if I was ever forced to play tackle, am I the top, top choice there? Maybe not, you know, probably, probably would have been pretty bad. So it's an interesting point, but Bradley Ashmore is, is – I'm glad you brought that name up. I mean, you don't play as a true freshman, especially after not having a spring and stuff, and you know you're not going to be a, not a factor. He's going to be getting first-team reps one way or another coming into it and, you know, allowed to earn a job. That's the thing with the new coaching staff, though, too, is that, you know, if like if a guy like Grant Miller was back, he would have been the guy, right? Like, that's, that's a guy – that's his position. That's his guy, and I don't care what anybody says, you know – they, they would lean on that guy. But other than that, everywhere else is totally open. I mean, that's how that's just how new coaching changes are. I'm going to throw this at you guys just in an ideal scenario. I mean, you could let, – let's say Grant Miller came back just for argument's sake, just to play around with all the pieces here. Again, I, I've considered anybody in the transfer portal I think is, is going to move on, but I do think the staff has a chance to make a positive impression. What if you could go from left tackle to right tackle? You could go Steen – Clemens, Miller, Hernandez, and Bradley Ashmore. I'm, I'm a big fan of if a guy earns himself a starting spot as a freshman, as a tackle, I think I want to keep that guy in there. Uh, maybe you flip Clemens and Hernandez at guards. I don't know who's better at what side. Then you got some backups. You've got Stewart, Dawkins, uh, Braden Bapst, um, Bryce Bailey, that kid, all of a sudden you've got 10 linemen who who have played. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, which God knows they would have killed for that this year. Right. Yeah. Heck, I mean, that's still low number two. Most programs carry 14 to 15, sometimes 17 linemen, including walk-ons. I mean, you need, you need 10 and a two deep to practice. You need to get ones and twos, ones reps, and then, you know, have a scout team also out there. So if we would if we would have killed for ten, we were in a bad spot. And I mean, even if we had ten, that's still a low number. You know, you typically want a two deep, and then one to two swing guys after that two deep. But I digress. I mean, that that would be a step up. A te- that ten that that two deep would be a huge step up for this program. Bitter door, asking, when would you predict the staff will be fully formed? And then he wants to know, Bruno, any thought from any of your teammates on the hire of Lee? I think you've been through that. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to throw this one to Seabass first uh, to answer when do you think the staff is in place? 
Well, you know, I, I think, uh, of course, you know, Coach is still a pretty busy man right now, obviously. And, and there's a real possibility that people that he has in mind are also busy men right now. Uh, we're doing, doing their thing. So, I, you know, I, I'll say this. I, I, I would certainly hope that it's sometime within the month of January. But I, I would say probably the next two or three weeks you start hearing names pop up. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we start hearing names about possibilities, maybe people that he's talked to, but as far as actual hires, I don't know, guys. I don't. I don't think there's any reason for it this time next month to not have an idea of what this staff looks like. Yeah, and one thing at Vanderbilt, you're always going to have to go through background checks and everything, so they may have a guy in place for a couple of weeks before it's announced, too. Sure. Heck, I think they have guys. I mean, I'm pretty sure they have guys in waiting. I mean, these things, uh, these, this will be buddy to buddy between coach and coach. But a lot of the times I say, you know, get things in paper. Right. But a lot of these coaching relationships are handshake deals. So maybe they have a few positions already set. I mean, you'll see you'll see the strength guy probably come in before Jan, before the end of January. One hundred percent. When the spring training starts, there will be a new SNC, SNC staff that is saying if they don't retain Coach Dobson, because I think Coach Dobson does great work, obviously. But, you know, I said. And you, you need someone you trust with the kids, and Coach Lee will probably want someone he trusts with the kids who, in a position that's with them 100% of the time, basically. So, Bruno, let me ask you a question, man, because, I mean, as far as Dobson goes, all I've ever heard is great things, and, and yeah. I understand that the nutrition, the nutrition has been lacking. We have been told that uh, many times. But I can't get past the fact that we look, and I don't know if it's from the recruiting side of things, we just look – like a conference USA team in the trenches, you know, in comparative to our SEC brethren. And I can remember times, even when we weren't any good, we still weren't, uh, we were still just almost, we weren't as big as LSU and Alabama, stuff like that. But like, I look at that team this year and, and they honestly look like a conference USA offensive line and defensive line. Yeah. And which is, which is tough, obviously, because I get it. I have, we're results driven and code. The thing is coach Dobson. I've been with the guy long enough to know that he would say the exact same thing. He'd be like, listen, that's on me. 100%. He's an accountability guy. And that's why I think a ton of people love him, but also I don't think it's on him. I think certain guys, you know, just don't have the, like not to, not to be an anti Jonathan Stewart club, but a guy with his body type is never going to be jacked and ripped. It's just not going to happen. Justin school, even better example, right? That's a guy that's never going to be jacked and ripped. Right. But that's a guy who will punch you in the mouth. 100, like straight up. And I think that was the thing that Dobson did. I mean, it's, heck I could talk about myself. I'm not, a, I'm not a big jacked up guy either. Like some of these other, like BYU's offensive line, just five monsters across the board. But there were there are guys who are like that. I know Dan has Dan has the jacked up look. He looks like SEC offensive lineman, but looks are looks are deceiving. You see a guy like Chris Pierce. That's what you expect when you see SEC when you see. I and it's concerning that across the board because I totally get the sentiment too. We don't look like an SEC team, but I think that has more to do with the fact that we had forty. We had less than half a roster out there, you know, going out into it. Last year was bad too. I do think. I think we just had a lot of swings in recruiting. We, you know, it's, if you if you can't if you don't have the looks, you better make up with it with play, and we just don't see that. Colombiano Door asks Bruno, take us back to prep week for the Notre Dame game. What do you remember that you had to deal with scheme wise with the defensive line and pressures? Would love any X's and O's insight as to what was unique about Clark Lee's defense. And I think that you have 
hit on that in a previous episode, maybe not to the degree to which the questioner's asking these things, but go ahead with that one. Mm-hmm. So I'll say this about Coach Lee's defense. Um, it was actually a breath of fresh air to prepare for. Whenever I play against a bunch of defenses, Missouri's defense is one of the worst defenses to prepare for. I mean, they do a bunch of they do a bunch of chop stuff. They do a bunch of safety rotations that will tip it off. Georgia will do a lot of cross dog stuff that you have to keep an eye on for the linebackers and their alignment. Um, Coach Lee. They, they ran some base fires, which if you don't know what that is, that's a linebacker goes on the outside. And then so you can tell by his wide alignment, like if the linebacker is a little wider than usual, that that's a key off for the pressure. But other than that, they didn't do too much of that pressure. They had a little bit of chop, not too much involved the safeties with their defense. It wasn't anything complicated in that regard. They ran a base four down defense and um, they had a good player in number nine. I, I don't even remember his name. I just remember his number. He was a good guy off the edge. They had a really good three technique at the time who I believe was drafted in the first or second round uh, Tillery, but he really didn't, you know, he just seemed like a normal sec defender, which not to down the guy, not to say like I'm great or anything, but I play against, you know, four of those guys across the board every week. So, and I always said that, you know, it seemed like coach Lee was just doing less with more. It was, it was an extremely sound defense because it was easy to prepare for Then We go out there and we get shut out the first half. You know, we pick, we start picking stuff up a little bit in the second half. We find a little bit of a run game, play some tempo, you know, spread out the ball to our receivers and we find success. And then, you know, that opens up our run game. Also, we, we start hitting some good goal line things, but other than that, um, it was just extremely solid well-sound defense. I think you look at a team like Florida and you, it's been consistent every year with Florida with that guy they have as, as defensive coordinator. They have the most talented gut players I've ever seen, but they never play sound defense. What I mean by that is guys jumping out of gaps. Guys will play the same gaps. Usually they get saved by extreme athletes by the, by the guys they have there. And they didn't have, they didn't have that as much this year. And that's why they got exposed a lot of the times. Um, that Notre Dame's defense wasn't like that. They were just extremely solid, sound defense. I mean, the game would the game played out exactly how we thought we were going to do, and they were like, "We think we're a better team than you. Beat us." Okay, this one I'm going to send to Seabass first. Dorking wants our predictions for the final four games, especially Notre Dame. <laughs> All right. Uh, first, we'll start with the uh, Notre Dame-Alabama game. Um, and, I, look, first of all, I, I got to say, I thought it was Bruno, Chris, I really thought it was brilliant of, 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 of Tony Elliott and the Clemson offense uh, to attack them uh, with, with, with Trevor running the football. I mean, it really seems like it was the, the one thing that you just – don't prepare for. Look, you, you, when, when, I mean, when Travis Etienne gets the football and they hand it to him, you're you're ready for that, as ready as you can be for the closest thing we have in college football to Alvin Kamara. Uh, when Trevor Lawrence beats you through the air, it's not going to surprise you, but you know that's coming. But when you've prepared for that over and over, and they already put you to the test, but then you sprinkle in the element of Trevor calling his own number over and over again, it was too much to stop. It was too much to ask. It was a brilliant move on their part, and and, and Notre Dame personnel-wise. And, 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 you know, this wasn't – we could put this on Coach Lee if you want to, but that was just a brilliant game plan and brilliantly executed by – what some say is the best college quarterback that we've had since Peyton Manning. Um, 
you know, and now he's got to go up against Alabama's offense. So, I mean, look, Clark <laughs> Lee's, uh, Coach Lee's off, uh, defense is going to be giving up some monstrous numbers the next two the next two games, this past one and this one. That's not an indictment on who we hired as our coach. It's just not. I mean, that, look, that, Alabama and Clemson's playing chess where the rest of us are playing checkers. It's that simple. Uh, Alabama is going to destroy Notre Dame, and there's very little Notre Dame can, Dame can, Dame can do about that. Um, you know, this is not – you know, I, 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 I was talking last night on my show uh, about this Alabama football team. And, you know, Bruno, I, you, you played against Alabama. I mean, good grief, dude. Those were monsters on the other side of that line. Yep. They don't really have that. They don't really have that this year. But the results are the same because what they do have now, and it's amazing. When we think about LSU and Alabama and teams like that, we think about 17-3. to 3. If you get past midfield, you're lucky, uh, and we're just going to ball control beat you to death. Now, look, LSU won the national championship with the best set of receivers in the country last year. Let me tell you something. Justin Jefferson – who has a shot at being the best. I mean, he's going over 1,000 yards as a rookie receiver, wasn't even the best receiver on that LSU team last year. You know, and, and, and he was having the ball thrown to him by the first pick in the draft, who turned around and handed it to the, to the final pick in the first round of the draft, uh, you know, who had a couple of linemen that were drafted in there. Uh, and, and these teams that we knew of as these big ball-control hulking offenses are now scoring 45, 50 points a game, uh, and a lot of it through the air. You know, they don't have to have that hawking presence, that, 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 that front seven, you know, that, that just destroy any and everything in their path because, truthfully, this is one of the worst Alabama defenses I've seen in the Nick Saban era. But what does that mean? Because they're still pretty good. You know, but it's 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 crazy uh, that now a team like Alabama and a team like Clemson uh, can get into track meets. That's what makes this so impossible to beat them. They can literally play the game any way you want to at its highest level. I don't know how anybody prepares for that. Uh, I, I look this game. This line hit the books at seventeen and a half, and it shot up to nineteen and a half in, in less than a day. Uh, I, I mean, and, and look, I don't even know if that's enough. I'm pulling for Coach Lee, but they are just seriously outgunned here, and I, I don't see how they keep this game close. I think Alabama destroys Notre Dame. Uh, and in the other one, you know, look, you know, this – let me just say this. And I, what I love, and I love Justin Fields, and he's a great football player. But Trey Sermon saved their bacon, bottom line. And I don't know where that came from, and I like Trey Sermon a lot, and I think he's a nice running back and, you know, going all his back, way to his, back to his days in Norman. But there's no way anybody saw that coming. Trey Sermon went for over 300 yards, and they needed all of them. You know, and, and I love Pat Fitzgerald, and Northwestern is uh, one of the two uh, – one of the – is one of the three teams that I ever pulled for in college football. But – I just, I just, look, when, when Dabo Swinney comes out before the start of the season, and think about this, Bruno, you don't say this unless you absolutely 100% believe it because it would be putting way too much pressure on your team. When he comes out and tells you this is the best roster he's ever had, and he's at Clemson, you better believe him, you know, I, I mean, because he means it. 
he absolutely means what he's saying. And as good as Ohio State is, uh, we can talk about how fresh they are not playing games that, no. that, that Clemson had to play. No, it's not going to make a difference. Clemson, Clemson might be the best team in the country. This is not hard. We could have a 300-team playoff, and we would still come down to the same two, Alabama and Clemson. Book it. There's no way it's anybody else. They are far superior to their opponents in these semifinals, and they will play each other. But the question becomes then, who wins that throwdown? Ah, <laughs> uh, man. I'll just say this. We'll be treated to a great national championship one way or the other. The, the best football team I've seen this year is the Clemson Tigers. Okay, I want to interject a little footnote here and see if this changes anything, okay? Because I did not I, watch a ton of that Ohio State game. Justin Fields' passing numbers were eye-popping in the sense that I didn't expect to see what they were. I watched that interview with him after the game, and he mentioned that he had a, a thumb that was really bothering him. So obviously that was not the Justin Fields we're used to seeing. And by the way, that kid is extremely accurate with the ball, as we know. Uh, let's suppose that Justin Fields was damaged goods in that game, played through it. Uh, again, you arrived at how they won that game, which none of us expect, expected, excuse me, if Justin Fields is closer to 100%, does that change the way that you answer that at all? No. No. If I'm going to tell you that I think Clemson is the best team that I've seen, that means that I think they're at better than Alabama. Okay. So, Fair I enough. Mean, and and I, can't, I can't come up with a scenario in which I would tell you I think that Ohio State's better than Alabama. All right, Bruno, have at it. Yeah, listen, if you're if you're a Vanderbilt fan or you want to watch Clark Lee and see his defense uh, turn that game off, the season's over 100%. Don't watch that Alabama game. Alabama's going to win by more than 21. Um, just be excited that Coach Lee is coming home and this game never happened. So Alabama's in the final. Ohio State-Clemson, the narrative that Ohio State is more fresh, that's, that's just – honestly, that's pretty wrong. Also, you know, their preparation was a lot stranger in the Big Ten because they canceled and they weren't. Um, Clemson's going to be a seasoned team, right? And it's hard to explain to people who haven't played, but whenever, or even competed in sports, whenever you're in sports, there's an eight to 12 week peak process, right? Whenever you're out of performance, you know, you never just, you never start performing and training at the highest level. You build up to it. That's, and this is, this is science. And there's, it typically peaks at eight to 12 weeks. Where's Clemson at right now? They're on, we probably week 13 going to 14, right so they're at i mean they're at their peak performance right now you know everything is in ohio state's just in the middle of this they're what six or seven games in so you typically are a much more poised team at 12 13 games than you are at six games it's going to be a very interesting game i think clemson is also i i share seabass's sentiment i like alabama's putting up record numbers but their defense doesn't look the same honestly um i wasn't surprised to see kyle trask you know throw all over him but at the same time, I was surprised because it's Alabama. You just expect more. I think Clemson is just on a whole nother level with Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. I know they have that loss, right? I don't, and I'm on the opinion that that loss is, it doesn't really tell the whole story. So Alabama, Clemson's going to be in the finals. I don't think Ohio State has, is near the, I think there's, there's four tiers of football teams. There's Clemson in the first tier, 
then there's Alabama in the second tier, then there's Ohio State into the third tier, and then there's everybody else right now. And Notre Dame was the champion of the everybody else's. Um, I think Clemson's going to beat Alabama personally by 14 or more in the in the final. I think they're just going to run the score up on them. And if Alabama, Alabama it's going to be a shootout. I'm, I, that's how I think it's going to be. If Alabama wins, it's going to be on the back of that quarterback and that offense. Okay, so you guys are both going Clemson. Yep. Yep. I'm going to go Alabama. Gosh, and I, I could end up looking stupid for this, right? I, I think, don't think you. I don't think you are. I think well, I mean those. I think part of the equation is I'm not as convinced that Clemson walks through Ohio State as you guys are, and I think that's part of it, right? I, I think that the chances of Notre Dame upsetting Alabama are are pretty slim. I don't see that as much the case for Ohio State. That's a six and a half point line now. Fields is playing with the hurt thumb like he was against Northwestern. That changes for me, but I'm just going to throw that in there and say part of it is getting there. And I like Alabama's chances of being there better than I do Clemson's. Uh, again, I, I may be splitting hairs. You guys uh, probably watched Clemson more than I did, but that's just how I think through it here. So Fields of Stone was hurt. First of all, I'll say this. I've been in the sport, right? I've been in the sport for five, six years. If Fields of Stone was hurt enough to affect his performance this week, it's going to affect him for the rest of the month. That thing's not getting healed. I mean, you're doing, you're constantly straining and practice. It's not like he's just sitting on the sideline icing it. Like, it's going to be a problem. So if he says it was a problem and that's true, you know, that's going to be there for the rest of these games. And, and look, I totally understand that every year, every season is a season unto itself. I, I mean, I, I live that motto. I mean, that's, I, I preach that motto. But here's what I would say. Would you say that this year's Ohio State team, Chris, at this moment right now, is better than the Ohio State team of last year? Not at last glance, but Bruno brought up an interesting thing. You just didn't get to see them develop to what they could be. Um, and, and maybe that makes your answers better than mine. Um, th- that's the only way I know how to answer that. Right. Well, this Clemson team looks like a, a team that, even without T. Higgins, may be better than they were last year. And, Cle- and, the, and a, an Ohio State team who was seasoned at the – perfect time and not void of half of their season uh, with a better football team than they have right now still couldn't beat Clemson. So I don't know how this version of Ohio State beats them. You know what I hate about college football? I think Bruno nailed it with his answer about five minutes ago when he said, I think they've got Clemson on one level, Alabama on the second level, Ohio State on the third, and then Notre Dame is the champion of, of the best of the rest. I thought that was a brilliant way to put it. I think that's a shame. I just don't think college football, as much as we love it, is is good of viewing right now as it needs to be because I think that's a shame when the gap between the one and the four is so glaring. I, I wish – I mean, to me, the basketball tournament and, – and that's – okay, that's a different thing, right? Because there's, there's an element of randomness that comes into basketball that doesn't come into football – uh, where the best teams don't win as much, and, and I don't know that I always like that. Uh, but I just think that the events for the baseball and the basketball championships in a lot of ways are so much more compelling uh, because we've already rubber-stamped Alabama to the title game. And it's, for goodness gracious, it's, it's a one playing the four, and I wish it weren't that. Yeah, I don't I, – I, Well, I, but I, you know, we – 
I'll, I'll just hit my point real quick. I thought the, I thought when the playoff was announced, I thought I was like, this is dumb. Like we, we know when it was the BCS era there, it was hardly ever a time where I thought like, we always knew who the top two teams were. I felt like it was always pretty obvious. Like we just, we just basically skipped the BS and then we're here. Now we're talking about moving the movement to eight. Listen, Alabama and Clemson are just leagues above everybody. And unless like a worldwide catastrophe happens where Thanos takes a snap and half the teams disappear, I don't think it's going to change like that for a little bit. I mean, we're talking five to 10 years and maybe dominance from these two programs. So, well, we can, we can ahead. rule out worldwide catastrophe at least. Right. Yeah, I think we. I think they tried it, and you know, Clemson. We had a pandemic. Clemson, Alabama is still number one, baby, right in the middle of it. So I don't think anything's changing it. Uh, first of all, big ups for the Thanos reference, and uh, basically, I'm I'm gonna go one step further and just say, Clemson, Alabama, this is the way. Um, so, <laughs> thank you, Bruno. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, one thing that can go a little ways to help rectify, not rectifying this, but may, I think may make people feel a little bit better about this Final Four, if you will. Now, they've already played each other, and it was an easy win for the Tide. But if I'm supposed to believe that the, 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 the semifinals are for the, quote, best four teams, then we, we don't have that right now. We have the three best teams. But there's nobody on this conversation or anybody that's going to listen to this conversation that would take Notre Dame over Texas A&M right now. There's no way. There's, there's yeah. no way. Texas A&M right now, I mean, first of all, I mean, either Vanderbilt played the best game of their lives in the first week of the season or, you know, Thanos appeared like you're talking about because I have no idea how we played within five five points of that football team. Uh, by the end of the season, they were thoroughly dominating in the trenches in the Southeastern Conferences. They were. They were pushing everybody around. Uh, Kellen Mond having a phenomenal season, and there's nobody I know that if you gave them even odds, if it was a pick them, uh, would be taking a Notre Dame over A&M right now. Now, I understand they don't want a rematch of a 28-point game played earlier on, but the fact of the matter is that in the final session here, in the final for A&M would be such a better choice if we're truly asking for the top four teams in the country. Because I love Notre Dame. They're great. But you know what? They are not one of the four best teams in America right now. They're just – you saw what I saw, guys, last weekend. I mean, that's the last taste that we all got of, of, of Notre Dame. And then a day or two later, you're putting them in the final four? Come on. I'm just Come interested on. in – I think it would be hilarious. So, like – you know how Florida, if the shoe thing didn't happen, Florida would probably be the number four team, right? So it'd basically just be a rematch, wouldn't it? One versus four, Alabama versus Florida. I know we got robbed of that. I, you know, but yeah. I know we got robbed of that. Yeah, I think but, Florida's also up there with Texas a and Florida's an extremely impressive team. Is their defense down bad? Yeah, but they have a, they have who I believe is the Heisman at their quarterback and probably some of the best offensive weapons. Kyle Pitts is, might be the – Kyle Pitts might be the real Heisman, you know, but he's just not a quarterback. So – I think there are, if there was any season to have an 18 playoff, it was this one, you know, because I always love the group of five. I want to see Cincinnati play somebody, not Clemson or not Alabama, but I want to see them play some other top tier competition. Well, we will see in a New Year's Six Bowl. But I think this was the one year where I would have taken an 18s. But other than that, keep it at four and cut the BS. And I Devontae can Smith would like a word with you guys. Alabama. Who? But, you know, the only – Devontae Smith. The oh, only yeah, thing yeah. about having – you know, the only thing about having Florida and Alabama is, guys, that would be the third time they played this season. 
you're you just not going to have that. I mean, now and that sucks because, truthfully, I'm sitting here talking about A&M being that fourth best team. I would take, and even though Florida, A&M beat Florida, uh, I would take, right now, I would take Florida over Texas A&M because, I, honestly, they were, you know, a play here or there. They could have been Alabama. I mean, did that look like a team that was flinching to you? Uh, it didn't to me. I mean, they looked like they were ready to go to war, and they were there. They were in it to win it. They just they didn't make enough. They made one less play than than, than Alabama did. Okay, next one. I think Seabass, you're the appropriate guy to answer this. The uh, <laughs> Matt Twenty Three says, "How does it feel to be the greatest podcasting trio that ever was?" I, I, I'm the appropriate one to answer that. <laughs> Uh, well, I will say this to you, because first of all, what's interesting about this is uh, we're doing this podcast in three different places and none of us can see each other. So from time to time, you know, Bruno and I will answer uh, at the same time. That's just going to happen when it's set up this way. But uh, I got to tell you, I, I love it. I love having Bruno on. You know, I, I, I think it's great. I enjoy it. I, I enjoy the 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 experience that he brings of playing for the team that we cover. Yeah, I've all seriousness aside, I, I appreciate the compliment. I got to laugh at it, but it, it is the, the dynamic of a three man booth, so to speak is different, but I've really liked it. I, I think, uh, I think this little thing that we're playing with, which we're only what we've done this together three or four times now, Bruno, how many times have you done one with the two of us? How many times have I done one with just you and me? No, I mean, you and I have done a couple, but I think the three yeah. of us, we've only done one three or four times, but I, I think yeah, this is going to be a staple, so. Yeah, it's been going well. Listen, man, I like it. Uh, <laughs> I thought I'd seen it all, and I, I mean, obviously I'm young, right? But I thought I, you know, I reached peak athletics to a point where, like, I thought I'd seen, you know, probably the worst of he, the humans, is the human nature regarding ego, but then I uh, I entered the media world and I just realized that as athletes look like the most humble people in the world compared to some people in the media. A lot of people, a lot of these people, Chris, it sucks. They just, frankly, it just sucks to talk to them, right? So I appreciate you guys. I feel like I can have a conversation with you and we can have fun and stuff because I think there's when you eventually when you cover sports so much, I guess sometimes you know you you would think that you're an expert on it. Whereas, you know, none of us really know what's going on a lot of the time. And I think we acknowledge that. I think we just have fun with it. And, and that's why it works so well. Um, and that's the kind of skill set you have to have in this podcasting deal, right? No one wants to just be lectured at for, for an hour or so. So I, frankly, I enjoy it. I only reason I'm on here is because I enjoy it. I enjoy the work we do. And I think, thanks, thanks to the compliment. I'm glad people like listening. I'm feeling an end of the year festivus session coming between the three of us <laughs> with uh with sports uh, media as a well, topic I, perhaps uh, <laughs> well i can tell you this much i can tell you this much there ain't gonna be any feats of strength you win bruno <laughs> you you win brother it's the guy who did not play college football i will uh i will see that one to both of you but uh let's see the next one this one from VU Matt twenty three. Also, do you think Vanderbilt will be able to make gains in state recruiting with all the stuff going on at Tennessee, and with Clark Lee bringing a renewed focus towards in state recruiting? Okay, give me a minute to give a preamble here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the narrative on that Tennessee story 
Is that Tennessee leaked that as a way to get Jeremy Pruitt fired? That absolutely 100% is not what happened. Um, Keep in mind that the guy who broke that story is one of my best friends. There's a whole lot more to that story than has come out yet. Um, I think Tennessee is potentially in a lot of trouble, and I always couch this by saying it's the NCAA, and we can hold Will Wade up there uh, as an example for everybody. Uh, As a reminder uh, that if you you have something, doesn't mean you have something in a sense. So I I will throw that out there, but – I do think that angle could be interesting. Um, I think Tennessee could seriously be in a lot of trouble uh, once it all hits the fan up there. And Clark Lee made an interesting comment in terms of a five-hour radius around the state. I thought that was uh, very interesting. Of course, Atlanta would be included in that radius. That's a place they've always recruited. But Seabass, I'm going to let you answer that one first, and then we'll go to Bruno. Yeah, I, I, first of all, do I think that that, uh, that it's going to help with in-state recruiting? I absolutely do. I think it's necessary. I, there was a time when I did. I had the attitude that I don't care if they come from Boise, Idaho, or Neptune if they're if they're the best football players. But it is it is absolutely critical that a a a, a program do everything that it possibly can to cultivate its own backyard for a billion different reasons. Um, And I I think that Clark Lee will certainly be focusing on that. Here's one thing I would say, though. Um, In regards to what's going on in Knoxville, will will that have an effect on on some of the prospects? Yeah, sure, some of them. But, you know, that's... I, I get. I've been much more concerned, Bruno and Chris, by people like Duke coming into our backyard, you know, and, and, and pulling out players that we should, especially the type of players that we should be getting in our own backyard. Some of the players that uh, uh, that, that Tennessee's gotten here in the state that we didn't, we weren't going to get them anyway. They're coming to Vanderbilt. Matter who the coach is, they have a different agenda. And hey, God bless them for it. That's fine. Vanderbilt, no matter who the coach, no matter who the chancellor or AD is, is not their type of school. I'm all right with that. That's fine. Um, but it's those cats. And then some of the others that, that, that could get into Tennessee and Vanderbilt and all this other stuff that, that we lost to them, where uh, the, the issues in Knoxville that are going on right now, uh, yeah, that may play a part. But they're not really the ones that I'm looking at. It's these ones especially that are right here. Uh, in the 615 yeah, and a lot of these private schools uh, that, that we should be truly in on that that hardly a, even gave Vanderbilt a sniff over the past six or seven years, I'm real hopeful that that's going to change. Bruno? Well, I think Coach Lee came from, I mean, he came from this. He came from this area. He came from those exact programs, and he came to Vanderbilt. I think he's the... Uh, I know we're tired of hearing about the Vanderbilt man, but he is. And, you know, I think he's going to be able to sell that to people. So, and as an in-state guy, um, I always love seeing Tennessee guys get recruited. Now I want to see, I want Vanderbilt. I'm going to be straight up. I want Vanderbilt to get SEC type players. I don't just want, you know, 30 Tennessee guys and half of them don't belong here. And, you know, every now and then those don't belong here guys, you know, pan out. I was one of those guys. I definitely didn't belong here in my first few years, but sometimes you, sometimes you build up and sometimes you get into it and sometimes it works out. But 
I do want the best players. Vanderbilt will have to be national, but there are some guys like I like I just watched the for the world. Like, dang, I wish we had that right. <laughs> I wish we had that right now. I know we have. I know we have great players here. We have you know Keon Henry Brooks is a stud athlete on on his own record, but we need to start hitting more consistently on the bottom on the bottom parts of our recruiting class because those two and three star guys can sometimes turn into some real some real game some real game changers. I mean Charles Wright was the lowest rated guy in our class and he was the all sec first i believe so so you don't have to you don't have to do anything crazy you know i know i know coach mason always made it a point to recruit nationally and it's just it feels good that we have a guy as a tennessee guy coming in going to be able to identify that talent and try to recruit and bring it in well clark lee went to montgomery bell academy if there's one school vanderbilt should be able to recruit it's that one I heard complaints out of that place that Derek Mason was not over there enough you mentioned Tyson Chandler that's one that went to NBA you would have thought would have fit well at Vanderbilt but yeah I think there are a lot of easy wins for him I think uh, available to him right away that I just don't think that Mason pursued hard enough And with that, I will go to Ann Arbor door. He asked a question about position groups that we would prioritize uh, for the next class and what groups would you target transfers in. Seabass, I'll go with you first. All right. Uh, how about I'll just do two or three of them. Uh, one, uh, I, I think we're going to need some more established playmakers in, in the passing game. We need – we need more wide receivers. Uh, I think we just do, especially if Chris does, Chris Pierce doesn't come back. Uh, I think that's one, and I'll throw tight ends in, in with that as well. I think that's one of the positions, uh, and I, of course, I, linebacker is 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 another. Um, I'm hopeful that some of the young guys coming in uh, can have an early impact, like an Arrington Truesdale and uh, possibly Michael Mincy. Uh, people like that. I, I think that the linebacker is certainly uh, an issue. I think that corner. Uh, I, I think that corner is, is an issue. So uh, I'm going to look at. I'm, I'm going to look at the, the immediate, and I'm going to say the wide receiving core, and, and of course, you know, I could say offensive line, but we had that conversation earlier, and with uh, some of the potential there for to come back, uh, we 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 may be better than I thought we would be. So I'm going to go with the, the, the passing and receiving core slash tight end, uh, linebacking core, and corner. Bruno. Yeah, uh, first thing I was going to say was um, we need linebackers terribly badly. I think that's the number one position to be addressed. After that, defensive backs, and then after that, wide receivers. I think, you know, we can um, – we have a solid group of offensive linemen. We always need depth. You need you need to recruit every position every year, right? But as far as targeted priorities, linebacker needs to be a huge one. Defense needs to be the side of the ball. That especially, I'm sure Coach Lee will get that set up because defense. We've seen how it's performed the past two three years. It needs to be fixed and it needs to be addressed instantly. Okay, Dor Morrison ten says, Seabass, what are you eating for Christmas dinner?" And he wants to know of your holiday traditions. Oh, what am I eating for Christmas dinner? We are going to have – I actually placed my order uh, at Cajun Cookers. My buddy Daryl has uh, won Memphis in May a couple of times, and he's got a restaurant here. And I just placed my order today, actually. Uh, I got some bacon-wrapped chicken thighs that he's soaking in some kind of bourbon sauce. 
some broccoli cheese casserole, a, uh, a breakfast casserole, and he's got some kind of tenderloin surprise for me, some kind of smoked tenderloin uh, surprise that uh, I told him to throw me something extra in there. Uh, so that is what I'm going to have. And as far as traditions now, most of my family uh, all lives in Texas, uh, and I won't be going home for Christmas. So uh, as far as traditions, man, uh, I guess I just, uh, man, it was always at Mimo and Pepals. Of course, they're both still alive. Uh, uh, but uh, I just, uh, the, the one tradition that we had, it was it was always cool because we have about 10, 12 of us in there. And I don't know how y'all did it, but, you know, a lot of people, they just get all their presents and then they start tearing into them. We didn't do it that way. So we'd go from youngest to oldest, and there'd be, I guess, possibly about 12 people in there. And each person would have between 12 and 15 presents. And you'd pick out one present and you'd open it and you do it in order from youngest to oldest until nobody had any presents left and everybody got to see everybody's each one of other presents. So it would literally take about four or five hours uh, to finish unwrapping those presents. And uh, I always used to be so amazed about that, but no, now that I'm 48 years old, I would love to go back in the time machine, you know, to about 13 years old and be able to relive that. Bruno, I got to give you a shot at that too. I have a, I have a feeling your family knows how to celebrate a bit. <laughs> you would think, but because uh, me and my dad are me and my dad are a hilarious bunch. But listen, I was, and I don't want people to because my dad's on the board, right? People need to know my dad's an absolute psychotic, psychotic person, and he is an amazing dad, an amazing he's an amazing family man. But if when I was a kid and I was uh, training. I had I didn't have off days. I didn't have holidays. And if the place is closed, we trained. Um, that's just the way I was growing up. And it's not like I hated or I was doing forced to do it against my will. That's just my normal. So and that's been my normal for 25 years. So you know we don't really. That's just the way my family works. I mean we just we love our we love the process. And as lame as that sounds, it's just how it is. So now I run now I run my own little club, right? And we I close it down. You know I let the I let the other people go home. But if you follow me on most of my social media, like we're still in that building and working. The second we get off this podcast, me and my dad are going to the gym. So that's just how that's just how we operate, and we don't change that for anything. We don't change it for holidays. We don't, and it always it always uh, weirds new people out. But you know that's just who we are, and we we like it. You're you're at least gonna eat well, right? Oh, that's the thing. Also, we eat, we eat like kings every day. So. <laughs> 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 that's just how it is now, now i've got to defend your dad a little bit here okay i've i've known uh i've known mac reagan for a few years he's a good <laughs> dude i don't want anybody to get the wrong impression uh of your family but uh that was priceless my friend yeah no he's he's one of the best dudes i know like uh and i know people think i'm biased I, i'd say it if he wasn't he's one of the best dudes i've ever met you know treats everybody with respect great dude we just the way he raised me was pretty weird. And now that I'm 25 looking back at it, I'm like, dang, I really don't celebrate holidays at all. Like we just go and train, but that's what we want to do. So that's where we are. Okay. This last one for Seabass, uh, this from doors alum off topic, but curious. I know Seabass isn't just something you use with Vandy sports. You go by Seabass on the radio station. Uh, what handles are common on online forums I just can't think. He says, while handles are common on online forums, I can't think of many radio personalities that go solely by fish names. <laughs> What's the origin of Seabass? Do your normal friends call you Seabass too, or is it a media-only thing? Well, I will say 
I don't know if I'm one of your normal friends, uh, but I call you by Seabass. I know your name. I, I think you would kill me if I used it, uh, but I will let <laughs> you answer your question there. Yeah, yes, I would kill you if you used it. Um, yes, uh, my friends call me Seabass. I've got a billion different nicknames. Uh, but, yes, most people call me Bass or Bew. Um, but uh, my, the origin of my nickname is I am a proud member of the Kappa Sigma fraternity. And in the spring of 95, when I was a pledge, uh, the movie Dumb and Dumber was out. <laughs> and, of course, you know the character Seabass in there. You remember who played that character, by the way, Chris? Cam Neely. That's right. Former NHL great Cam Neely uh, played the role of Seabass. So my big fraternity brother said uh, when I was pledging that my nickname was going to be Seabass. And I had always wanted a great nickname, and I loved it. Everybody started calling me that. So, I, you know, I just that's all I've been since 1995. Now, what does your mom call you? She, I don't think she calls you Seabass. I won't make you use your name here if you don't want well, to, but I, I just want to clarify this here. Well, I'm not ashamed of my name. No, I just, I mean, if you'd like to know my real first name, I'll tell it to you, Jamie. Uh, but uh, I don't. It's one of those things, like, 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 like. Okay, I'll ask you, Bruno. Does your dad ever say Bruno? Yeah. You know, I mean, simply. She doesn't really call me by my name. She just talks to me. You know, she does. She doesn't say hello, that, Bass, that or hello, Jamie. Point, yeah. She just talks. To me. Yeah, she yeah, doesn't really call my name. Yeah, it's the same deal. Because my dad doesn't like being called by his name either. But I never have to use his name at all. So I get, I get your point there. Right. Right. Yeah. So I mean, no, she doesn't call. She, she just talks to me. She just, if I pick up the phone, <laughs> she'll say, "Hey," she'll say, "Hey," insert name here. <laughs> she doesn't do that. Uh, so yeah, but uh, she now when she is talking to other people about me, uh, unless it's like my my grandparents or something like that, then she yeah she calls me Bass. I'm a little surprised that you just gave your real name on the podcast. Why? I do it on the radio every now and then. I mean, I'm not ashamed of it. It's just not what I go by. I know. I've just never heard you volunteer that anywhere. Well, you, nobody's asked me to. <laughs> How long have I known you? It's not like I'm going to I mean, I mean, it's not like I'm going to say, you know, and, and, and guys, I, I really was, I couldn't believe this is the way, you know, we, we couldn't stop the run all day. By the way, my name is Jamie. And, 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 and you know, I just didn't see the effort out of the team. You know? <laughs> I mean, you know. No, nobody asked. All they had to do was ask. I'd have told them, or you, this whole time. <laughs> I never wanted to ask. I thought Steve Bass was cool. I think more people should do that. Yeah, I mean, and, and and now, I mean, if I went on the show tonight, I said, "Good evening, everybody. My name is Jamie. Let's go into you know, come on." They'll be like, "What?" You know, no. <laughs> so now, I mean, twenty twenty one in the years into the business now, I mean, that's uh, I think I'm gonna stick with it. I think we're going to have some good podcasts next year. I just get this feeling. I'm sure it's been, we've had good, what, three to four right now. And it's been, it's been a pretty down year. So hopefully when things clear up, we can just, uh, people can start relax more. We can start having some more fun again. Yeah. And, and next week we'll do a, we'll do a end of the year wrap up. I, I guess we can go where we want with that. We can put things to bed uh, or whatever, but I do think next year is going to be a much more fun year to do these than this. Well, I agree, you know, and I'll, I'll quote like 
I'll quote like somebody said, uh, I heard somebody, I saw somebody say today on social media uh, that come January the 1st, it'll be the first time that 2020 is hindsight. I'm into that. Well, gentlemen, we've done this for an hour and 31 minutes, and I've got somewhere to be. I'm sure you guys do as well. Uh, Closing thoughts, give out your social media handle, whatever you want to do. The floor is yours. Bruno first, and then Seabass, it'll be your turn, and then I'll close this out. Sounds good. Um, Guys, follow me on Twitter for most of my my Vandy takes, at Bruno Reagan. Um, closing messages. Listen, this year was tough. All right. So find whoever made it tough. Find Like, this is what me and my dad do. I know. Cause I, cause we had that running joke when, when the board got kind of hot right there. Like there's only one way we solve things right now. If you got any beef left right now, just knock it out, get it out of the way. I'm going to go fight my dad right now. And we tell, we, we tell, feel 10 times better out of it. So if you see your family member this holiday season, all right. And you need to just get all the bad juju out of the way and get it to next year. Okay. That's my take on it. Love y'all. See y'all next week. All right. All right. Seabass finishes up here, sir. I don't have anybody in my family I'm going to fight. <laughs> but, uh, oh, man, that's awesome. I love that answer, by the way, uh, Bruno. Uh, my, mine only would be is this. You can join me on Twitter at, or you can find me at Twitter at, at Cheap Seats Bass. That's at Cheap Seats Bass. We're on 101.5 Monday through Friday in Jackson, Tennessee, in the Cheap Seats. And uh, my tip for the day, XL Fleet. Buy it, buy it now. Buy it now. All right, for Bruno Reagan and Seabass, I'm Chris Lee, host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. Hope everybody out there has a wonderful Christmas. We will do one or two of these between now and New Year's, but we appreciate you listening. Everybody be safe, and we'll hit you back up again with at least one more episode of the Vandy Sports Podcast next week.